Senator Kirsten Sinema leaves the Democratic Party. What does it mean and what should Democrats do about it? This is an emergency edition of the Beyond Politics podcast on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube and on audio. I'm former congressional staffer and campaign manager Matt Robeson. That's former Biden ad maker Cliff Schechter. Cliff, why is Senator Sinema doing this? There probably are lots of things going through her head. Like, I want fries right now. And <laughs> time for a run. Like, I'd like to go for it. Darn it, you got me. I was like, where's, where's the next marathon? She's somebody who I think, I think often about people who are very smart academically, but are very stupid politically. I think she was like a Rhodes Scholar, right. but she showed her political judgment to be just inept numerous times. She comes from what I would call, and it's a very small wing in the Democratic Party at this point. It is this big a wing in the Republican Party, the performative wing, which we don't want taking over, which is you do whatever it takes to get people to pay attention to, to be on TV, to have the media singing your praises as independent minded and this and that kind of thing. And, and she has been selling this persona since she became a house member. Mind you, she was a completely different person before that. She was a green party gadfly who would attack the Democratic Party from the left all the time, supported Nader in 2000. I sat on a panel with her at Netroots Nation in 2008, 2009, because I wrote a book on John McCain and she was there and like, she was trashing McCain to me privately. Now she wants to be John McCain. She was showing off her Facebook that had 5,000 friends because, as a state representative, because that was the most important thing. I use those anecdotes a lot privately, but now I'll use them everywhere because that's who she is. It's her Facebook. It's on the John McCain of the Democratic Party. I'm not going to try to necessarily psychoanalyze her, although those are fascinating insights and that could very well be a big part of the puzzle here. If you and I were part of her campaign team right now, we might be making the following case. You got censured by the Arizona Democratic Party because you right. refused to change the filibuster to help with voting rights. You gave that thumbs down, that obnoxious thumbs down signal trying to be McCain, like you just said and refusing, except when you did it, it was, no, we won't raise the minimum wage. That didn't endear you to Democrats. And your support of the Trump tax cuts is what forced the scale back in the Build Back Better bill. So it's not great. You're probably going to lose a Democratic primary in yes. 2024. I think that's the bottom line. This is maybe her only play if she wants to head off a primary from Representative Gallego. This is probably the only way that she could do that. Um, and she has a little bit of what I might call crazy credibility here, meaning it's credible that she might do something crazy, like burn the whole house down and take the whole party down with her by running as a third party independent and causing a split in Democratic votes and causing us to lose the Arizona Senate. Well, I think she's already declared she's doing that. I mean, by leaving the party, right? Like, I'm not, right. I don't think I'm jumping to conclusions. She's not a Democrat anymore. So unless, so her her goal is, again, is to go and get like a Bernie Sanders or Angus King kind of thing, who are both, right. by the way, for folks listening, independents, one from Vermont, one from Maine. I'm sure you know who Bernie Sanders is in case you don't know who Angus King is. And, but that's not going to happen. The difference is, is, is that neither of them, Angus King, I think early in his political career was a Democrat, but left a long time before he ran for the Senate. Bernie Sanders had ne never was a Democrat. She has sort of stymied the party. She has betrayed us again and again. She undermined us again and again. People worked their, their hearts and souls out for an electorate as a Democrat in 2018, gave her money as a Democrat, and she screwed us. And that is not somebody who you go to then and you reward. Her situation is this, which is, that's a center-left state. We just swept the executive offices there. Her little John McCain play, she doesn't even get her own state, what state she's sitting in how unpopular she is among Democrats and independents at this point, and Republicans. Nobody likes her because of all of this garbage. 
right? So I have receipts I mean, on that. Do you want to? Do you want to see the receipts? I would love to. I mean, I there's been a little bit of polling over the last few months about this. In August, her overall approval rating was only 42%. That's compared to now successful reelected U.S. Senator Mark Kelly, who was at 54%. So she's 12 points south of Mark Kelly in that poll. Right. And if her whole play here is to try and portray herself as a maverick and independent. She's not popular with independents either. Her approval rating among independents was also only 42%. There was one demographic that had a positive approval rating for her. That's Republicans. She was up 47, 41. The problem there is they're mostly approving of her because she was being a pain in the you-know-what to the Democratic Party. They like that kind of thing. That's not going to hold up in an election. They would choose the, the Republican. So the, the upshot here, if there's one thing to know, if there's like a big headline from this, I hear you saying, and I hear me saying that this may be actually the right tactical move politically because she was probably going to lose a Gallego primary in the Democratic Party. She might have felt like she was forced into this, or maybe the psychology you were talking about played in as well. But this sets up for a really tough situation for Democrats in that Arizona seat in 2024. Well, what I would say is tactically, it's the right, it's the right move, but that's because of the position she put herself in because of her own stupidity, because of her own me, 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 just to be clear, and to go back to the sort of what you were saying earlier, right, about, about whether Republicans like her, what reasons they like her, when it becomes clear that she is an out bisexual who's very much in favor, very pro-choice and in favor of gun control and these sort of things, I'm sure the Republican primary electorate will love her. Yes, the, meaning right. she has no place there, she can't win there, she probably couldn't win 15% in the Republican primary. So that boxes her in right now because she can't, caucus with the Republicans, because then she will lose all credibility to Democrats and independents. She, she's left the Democrats, so the, she either caucuses with the Democrats, or she can caucus as a nobody, and then she doesn't really hurt us. The headline here is, this is going to set up for a really tough situation electorally in 2024 for Democrats. It doesn't have yeah. a huge impact in terms of the Democratic Party agenda, President Biden's agenda, or the U.S. Senate. We're going to keep the same committee balance. She, she wants to keep her committee positions. I know I'm talking about committees. No one cares about that. But believe me, it's super important for keeping our legislation. If we have any hopes of passing anything in the next two years, you want that committee majority because it unbottles your legislation. It unbottles right. your judicial nominations. It also, we're going to keep that outright majority. So it means that Vice President Harris doesn't have to be there to break those 50-50 ties. Maybe she can boost her popularity a little bit. That wouldn't be bad. But the bottom line is, she already sees herself as incentivized to try to push back on high-profile legislation because she's pursuing this brand as an independent and like a kind of a third party. Now she is an actual independent. She was going to do that anyway. We've seen that movie in the last two years. And how many people remember, as you cited before, the fact that Angus King and Bernie Sanders are actually independents who vote like Democrats. The right. one thing to watch out for in terms of substantive impact, don't forget that since 1973, between 1973 and 2012, 15 oh, U.S. senators. Some serious knowledge on you now. Yeah, well, this is depressing. I don't mean to be morbid about this, but 15 U.S. senators died have in died. office. died. That's I, once I every three years. Coming. We have three U.S. senators on the Democratic side who are over age 80 in this upcoming session of Congress. So, again, not Which, trying to be morbid, but way, that's, that's a reality here. But you're right. Somebody could die. You have to take that seriously. Here's something else. Here's another permutation of this. What if you just send her, what if Biden appoints her to some third-rate ambassadorship somewhere so that Katie Hobbs, once she takes office, can fill the seat? Let her go to like- The Federated you know, like, States of Micronesia. There you go. 
There you go. Like, I'm trying to think of a place like that. Make her like the ambassador to Bali. And even though it's not its own place, she could just go hang out in Bali and like talk to people or co-fundan. I think the headline here is what Carrie Lake tweeted this morning, which was great news for Republicans. This is great news. Politically, this puts them in a better position. Anytime you hear that Carrie Lake thinks something is great news, you should look to the skies for the horseman flying because it is bad. B-A-T bad. But, but the comms director of the party, of the Arizona Republican Party, also responded to it and said she was in favor of the COVID lockdowns like we're all babies. And she was in favor of, of gay and lesbian rights. And she's terrible, performative clown. She's not an independent. So that's the thing is you make it a carry lake, but you're also making people like that from the Republican Party ripping the hell out of right, it. Right, because they're at war with, the, with themselves. So let me ask you this. At the top, we teased this question of what are the implications, but also what should Democrats do? So Cliff... What should Democrats do if you're if you're Chuck Schumer? Like, how do you handle this politically? If you're the Arizona Democratic Party, you don't want to lose this Senate seat because you split the Democratic vote in 2024. How, if you're Ruben Gallego, like, what do Democrats do now? Well, Ruben Gallego should get in immediately because you already you, you want to plant your flag, and I mean, you already see other people. I've seen one one or two people already talking about it who are who live in Arizona like hey if I ran would you support me who are people that have bigger let's say I don't want to insult anybody but have bigger social media presences and that kind of thing I, I think he should plant his flag he's Latino in a state that is heavily Latino and growing that way he has charisma he's a likable guy he's done everything for the party and come out and supported every candidate and oh by the way he's a veteran who's a war hero so you know what like he should plant his flag immediately get out there and start running people should raise money for him and do all that the question is bifurcated. What should they do in terms of campaigning? Well, they should be dropping oppo and things like that to certain reporters so that she is being undermined and by key demographics that she would need to win over as an independent, independents, moderate Democrats, moderate Republicans, destroy her in that part already. She's offended a lot of people. Finish that job off so that she decides that she has to walk away in 2024 and lose. That's what I would do on that side. The, the tougher so, one, and you've so maybe you convinced think, me. You think that we should basically like not not fold not call you think we should raise here you think well, Democrats? Well, but again i'm separating the campaign side and the washington side you being the smart person you are we talked offline and you may have convinced me of your position when it comes to how to treat her in the senate one way you treat her in arizona is democrats nobody can she can't get mad at like chuck schumer if ruben gallego's out there campaigning against her destroying her and that is getting headlines for it and oh oppo dropped she did this then whatever do that and just destroy her there but on the other side of things when you're talking about back in washington yeah i can see some of the arguments my initial reaction which i tweeted out was kick her off all committees and just make her a nobody but i see what you're saying having her she is on board for a lot of our issues even if she's a pain of if we do the campaign job right back in arizona that she as an independent that she absolutely can't win that maybe yeah. she could throw it to a Republican and maybe she's willing to do that. But I think you need to call her bluff on that and stand up and, and, and on the, in the campaign and do that. So what you're basically advocating for here is in Washington, that's my kind of position on this, which is if you've got a little bit of leverage, which is she likes being on committees and, and having the assignment she wants, hold on to that. You don't want to deploy that now. You raise a really important point, which is when my former boss ran for the U.S. Senate in 2010, I called the White House political director at the time. And this was two days before the election. I was like, look, man, we're about to lose. And Paul was one of the early endorsers of Barack Obama. What is the president going to be able to do? 
you please tell me that you have a plan in place to take care of him. And they did actually offer him a position, one that he did not take in the administration. But that is another point of leverage. That's all I wanted to connect to. You're raising uh, a super important point, which is that- Because it could be in the administration too. You're right. It's not just ambassadorships. Like, hey, be the deputy undersecretary of like fashion. Sorry, couldn't well, help myself. What is um, your next move? What is your end game here, Kirsten? But, but let me say one more yeah. one more thing because I, I jumped in back to the ambassador thing just because I didn't want it, people to forget it. But that wasn't even what I was what I meant to get at before, which is- you play because you, you said the, the exact right thing. You play the game right now, right? And you do. But there is no reason why you need her for legislation now. Nothing get pa gets passed in that last six months before an election. And it might seem bitter and cruel, but you could kick her right the hell off her committees anytime you feel like it. So you wait. And at some point when you've determined it will harm her political prospects, but she's helped you every way she can <laughs> in terms of helping you pass legislation, yeah. Then you say, sorry, you're no longer a Democrat. We're removing you from committees and you do it because, but you also say, you broke this rule. You did this, whatever. They can find a reason to do it. Well, That's what I, I would do. And then she runs from a position of, of as much weakness as possible. Well, I think what you want ultimately though, is you're not going to control her on every vote. And the fact of the matter is with a Republican house, you probably don't have a drop dead vote that you really need her on coming up anyway, because anything that's going to actually pass and become an actual piece of law is going to be a compromise where you've got Republicans to begin with. Frankly, what former Schumer right-hand man on policy, Ryan McConaughey said on this show last week was get ready for a whole bunch of gangs. Remember like gang of 14, look, look for these bipartisan groups of senators to get yeah. She's probably going to be in those things anyway. That's not so where you need her. What you need is to think about the political situation in Arizona in 2024. The end game for the Democratic Party is to push her out of that race so that she doesn't split the Democratic vote. You Correct. want her to step out, which means she needs a landing place. But the upshot of what you're saying is this. As we sit here and record this December 2022, we don't know. And you want to keep your powder dry. If there's one message for Democratic leadership, it's, all right, let's Keep our powder dry, keep our leverage for when we really badly need it, and also think about our end game. Because with the exception of some exotic cases where you suddenly need her on legislation or there's a Supreme Court justice opening and it's like, no, Kirsten, you're with us on this. We're dropping the hammer on you. Then probably your political end game is we need you to drop out of the 2024 race, clear it so that there's just a Democrat and a Republican on the ballot, and we will give you the best golden parachute we can. Do you want an ambassadorship? Done. Do you want a cabinet position? That is in the bidding. Now, the one thing Democrats have to be aware of is there's the case of Eric Cantor, who you remember was the third ranking Republican lost in 2012. In an you mean the young, one of the young guns? Well, I'm just laughing because two of the three of them, of course, are gone. Paul Ryan, too. And Kevin McCarthy's the last one standing, and he's about to go through the toughest run for a speakership in 100 years. So, yes, it fun. didn't turn out well for them. But you know where Eric Cantor landed? He landed on Wall Street. And Wall Street, of course. That could be that could be her end game as well. Let's let's not forget that she may have a landing spot or she may be able to line one up in corporate America. That may be what she wants. And then great. You want to pave the way to that. But what you don't You know who want... she's been there for so far. I, I don't mean it, but it's been pharma. And 
pharma has the kind of money, again, I don't think anybody's going to hire her as a lobbyist because I don't think that, that she would be effective. And I think they know it, that she puts people off. And it, she's not one of these people that people like. Who, she's not a Trent Lott who you disagree with politically, but like befriended everybody, right? That's not her. She annoys people. However, to your point, pharma has more money. They're choking on money. They, they, don't, they don't know what to do with it. They've got so much money. They, they walk in their office and it like rains down from the ceiling. So they could easily create a $2 million a year position for her to be like head of corporate, head of corporate dresses and hair pieces. I mean, it doesn't really matter, right? Like they could, they could do that. And, and so yes, there's that opportunity for her too, even though. There's know. a rich history here. Remember Billy Towson was the chairman of the house I, energy and commerce yeah. committee, and he was a Democrat from Louisiana. Uh, and then he became pharma's top lobbyist. This may just be fairy dust too, but. I would redouble their efforts right now to see if they could bring in Murkowski, who, by the way, again, I'm saying it's a long shot, so don't get me wrong. But unlike Collins, who doesn't seem to believe in anything, Murkowski did stand up at one point and say that she would have voted for one of those voting rights bills if it came to the floor. I don't remember which of the two it was. She's been good on a number of issues. And she not only proved that she could win in 2010 without, by having her name written in, I mean, her dad was governor and whatever, and she's, she, the Murkowski name is pretty big in Alaska, but Alaska's gotten more moderate. We just elected Mary Peltola as the House member. You don't have to be a Republican anymore, and they have ranked choice. So she can win numerous ways where she does not need core hard right Republicans. So she's in a different position than any other Republican and, and seems to honestly be a center-right figure. I'm just saying she's more conservative than Jim Jeffords or Arlen Specter was, but I might reconsider that kind of an outreach to see if you could bring her over. Well, again, you're right. She doesn't have a future as a lobbyist. And for a lot of members of Congress, even senators, that's happened to John Bro of Louisiana. It happened to Trent Lott, who you just mentioned after he talked about how much better the country would have been if Strom Thurmond had been elected president and been able to presumably pass segregation again. Anyway. All of that was guys, okay to say back then, though. Yeah, that well, was all the way back in like 2008. Right, right, exactly. So, I mean, look, there's a rich history of these kinds of figures going and becoming lobbyists. We don't see that as the future for Kirsten Cinema, but no. there are multiple soft landing positions, and this yeah. administration and this Democratic leadership can be very helpful to her in helping to secure those. What do Democrats want? They want her to not split the vote in Arizona in 2024. What do we want? Kirsten Cinema gone. Right. When do we want right. it? Preferably before 2024. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So let's wrap this up. On that note, the bottom line here is no massive implications for the Dem agenda or for the Senate mechanics in the next two years. Just keep an eye on the actuarial tables here for some of our incumbent senators. No, you, I mean, that you make an incredibly important point. And let's be honest also, like, forget actuarial tables. There are things that happen in people's lives that cause them to resign in the middle, Right. I mean, Ben Sass just took off because he got offered $2 million, I don't know what it was, by the University of Southern, one of the Florida schools, to be president. Somebody gets an offer that they, that they feel like they can't refuse, and they leave. And when you have this close of a Senate, you got to remember that could happen too. So, yeah, I mean, I just think the implications likely, unless something of that sort happens, the implications policy-wise are not many. Politically in Arizona, again, it is a state moving to the left. It is a state, a guy like Ruben Gallego is perfectly set. He's not far to the left either. He's sort of center left. He's perfectly set up to run in. It, it's big time military population in Arizona. That is important. He's a vet. And I think you keep your PR operation, even if it's off the record, 
undermining her and let Gallego go to town going after her. And the Republicans are going to go after her anyhow because they don't like anything about her. And I think she can be in a position where she's a non-entity by 2024 and realizes she's going to embarrass herself and get 10% and she's willing to walk away. Right. So the bottom line in terms of what Democrats should do is let the situation unfold, support Gallego, let the situation unfold so that she's basically got Monty Hall, door A, door B. And door A is your poll numbers are going down. You're getting hit from the right. You're getting hit from the left. You could try and do this independent path. It's not going to work. Or you've got door B, much more attractive, soft landing. Play ball with us. We'll play ball with you. That, I think, about wraps it up. Thanks for for being at the channel and for listening and watching.